0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 11, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We continue our study through the New Testament. And I have to say, Hebrews 11, it is one of my favorite passages. Now, I have a lot of favorite passages, but this is up there. This is cream of the crop. It's on the topic of faith, the subject matter of faith. Faith. Now, there are certain prerequisites to this study in Hebrews 11. Understand, we are created with eternity in our hearts. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Every single person is created with eternity in their hearts. Now, every single person has a measure of faith. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And understand that faith can grow. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. And so what's so powerful is how the Lord, His creation, His handiwork in making creation created the means by which not only can our faith blossom, but there is a reward for faith. Now, in the Old Testament, remember, there wasn't a mixing in of faith. That's from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We just studied that several weeks ago. But knowing this, we also see something interesting because I meant here in Hebrews 11, I meant not to fast forward and get ahead of ourselves here, but in Hebrews 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel, this is pre-law. This is before the law of Moses. In verse 5, by faith, Enoch, again, pre-law verse 7, by faith, Noah. In verse 8, Abraham. Verse 11, Sarah. Verse 20, Isaac. Verse 21, Jacob. Verse 22, Joseph. And verse 23, Moses. Now there is the entry of the law. But remember, in verse 31, by faith, Rahab. So there's more. And these are things that we're going to look at today. There's more. But we see something very interesting here. How People in the Old Testament who have faith. Remember, verse 5 says there wasn't a mixture of faith. I mean, you know, not being mixed in with faith in Hebrews 4. We just studied that several weeks ago. But here in Hebrews 11, we do see that not the majority, but there are some people, a remnant, that do have the mixture of faith faith. And when we study the Old Testament, something interesting is revealed about this very concept. On the majority, no mixture of faith. On the remnant, the mixture of faith. This is why we teach about the chambers in the law, you know, where in the law and through the law a person learns to fear the lord remember if you've been walking with us for a while several weeks ago we gave the example of you know you and me we go we get in a time machine we go back in time and we see somebody get stoned which is a very violent thing and to 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 see the stoning of a person now we go To those, like the the Numbers era or the Judges era or the Deuteronomy era. We go back in time and we see like, oh my goodness, that guy was stoned. And that's scary. It's not like a pretty thing. No, it is scary to see a female get stoned. That is absolutely terrifying. And so we go back in time. We say, hey, what happened? What did he do? And it turns out, what you know, he worshipped Molech, you know. And, you know, okay, what did she do? You know, she worshipped Baal. And it's, okay, I'm not messing with Molech. You know, I look at you, you look at me, I'm not messing with Molech, and you look at me, I'm not messing with Baal. And we're like, we're not messing with any of that because we saw this, and this was terrifying. We are, this is scary. I don't want that happening to me. I don't want that happening to you. We don't want that happening to anybody. And we fear the Lord. And remember, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning, 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 which means more can be added. The Lord doesn't make robots. So when understanding that uh, faith is or or, or, uh, 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 fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understand that things being added on, that takes time. And when I say things, you know, where, you know, you and me, we go back in time. It's like, okay, we see the stony. Okay, I'm not messing with Baal. We're not messing with Molech. And you look at me, you say the exact same thing. We're not messing with that. We don't want anybody to mess with that because this is serious business and that is terrifying. And so we learn to fear the Lord. And so operating and conducting ourselves in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And then all of a sudden, something happens in the course of time. We fear the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, we begin to trust the Lord. It's not that we couldn't trust the Lord before, but now it's different. And so you and me, were like, wow, you know what? We're like... We fear the Lord. And remember, we saw the stoning and that was terrifying. And the guy did the Molech and the lady did the Baal, and we're not messing with those things. So that's idolatry. And remember, Moses says, you know, don't mess with that. And so it's like, okay, we're not, we're gonna do exactly what Moses says because that's terrifying. And we see the result of somebody who didn't do that, and we don't want that upon us, and it's terrifying. And so, in the course of time, all of a sudden, you and me were operating in that fear of the Lord. And then we start to see something where in other tents, in And other people still in the camp, but it's like, wow, you know what? There was another stoning over here, which was terrifying, but he should have learned. There's this other stoning over here. Wow, that's terrifying, but she should have learned. And then on top of that, you see, okay, there wasn't a stoning, but you know, the, 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 the head of the family, you know, m- uh, made sacrifice and offering to atone for sin in his tent. And it's like, wow, okay. And, and all of a sudden, all these people, they're bringing their offerings to the Lord, which is beautiful. That's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing to, to atone for trespass and sin to atone. It's like, wow. But something interesting is happening. We're not doing that. I mean, we're still making offerings to the Lord, but we're not making like sin offerings to the Lord. We're not. There's no trespass offering to the Lord. Why? Because we've been operating in the fear of the Lord. And you see all these people like, wow, you know, this guy's out a sheep. Wow, this guy's out an ox. Wow, this this guy's out a a a, a dove. And you and me, were like, wow, look, our animals, they're growing, they're flourishing. It's like we don't have to, there's no like, you know, sin offering. There's no no sacrifice for sin, atonement for trespass. There's none of this. And all of a sudden, something starts to happen where we learn. It started with fear of the Lord, but then we learn to trust the Lord. You see, we start to trust in His ways. It's like, wow, you know, like in my prior conduct, in your prior conduct, we had this mode of operation and you know now in the fear of the Lord now it's different where we still fear the Lord but it's different now we trust in him and it's deeper it's getting deeper and deeper and then something else happens we started to fear the Lord and we still fear the Lord now we trust the Lord and in the course of time something else starts to happen where we love the Lord It's like, wow, oh my goodness, Lord, you're so good. And I didn't see it, you know, I didn't see it before when I saw the stoning. That was terrifying. I look at you, you look at me, you're like, I'm in the same boat. That was terrifying. And I couldn't see, I couldn't fathom, like, how was it possible to love the Lord, you know, when there's this stoning? But I look at you, like, did you even realize? And you're like, no, I didn't realize. And you look at, did you realize? No, I didn't realize. But through the fear of the Lord, we learn to trust the Lord. Everybody's doing their sin offering, trespass offering, but wow, you know, we're not we're not down a turtle dove. We're not down a sheep. We're not down a lamb. We're not down an ox. Why? Because we don't have to do it. I mean, we do make our, you know, the, the feasts and the festivals. I mean, this is according to the law. I'm just, I'm not saying that this is in the, going in the time machine, the precede. So I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape or form, but I'm giving example of how the law points to something beautiful. Beautiful. And so, It's like we we learn to love the Lord and we fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. Where before, remember, it started in fearing him, but now we love him, you see? And we've learned to trust the Lord. And that's why we speak of these chambers, how in the law, there's a door. And in the law, this door, you walk in that door and yes, you learn to fear the Lord. And then there's another door, which is to trust the Lord. And then another chamber, which is a love for the Lord and a love of the Lord. But then there's the innermost chamber. And that's where faith is. And it is here in this very special chamber of faith that few entered. But there was the expectation of The Messiah that could be seen. Because remember, Hebrews 4 says not being mixed with faith. So where was faith? Was it withheld in the Old Testament? No. It was in an inner chamber. But in order to reach that inner chamber, in order to reach that point of faith in the Old Testament, there was... I don't want to say a process because it sounds too processed. <laughs> but there was a a process, even though I, I don't know the other word to I don't know if there's another word for it, but there is a process and it's that process of the chambers where the it starts the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which shows us that there is more to wisdom. But the very beginning of it is the fear of the Lord. And so we learn to trust the Lord. Learn to love the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And then we reach the inner chamber where faith is. On the majority, Hebrews 4 reveals the majority, they didn't mix in faith. But here in Hebrews 11, we see that there were some that did have this mixture of faith. You see? And this expectation of the Messiah could absolutely be seen Jesus speaks of this in Matthew in chapter 13 verse 16 and he says but blessed are your eyes he's speaking to the disciples and he says blessed are your eyes this is Matthew 13 verse 16 blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear verse 17 for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see And did not see. They did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see? They desired to see and they did not see. They desired to hear but they did not hear. You see? Because this inner chamber, it gave the expectation of the Messiah. But the seed still had not come. And it's Hebrews 11 that tells us about some of these beautiful souls. Precede and accounted unto righteousness. Pre-law and accounted unto righteousness. And don't forget the jumper cables either. Remember, we just studied that in Judges 4. Don't forget the jumper cables. How faith of one can help the faith of another. You see and faith of some can help the group help the uh, the faith of a group you see and it's so beautiful how faith can grow and faith does grow but there's a very specific formula very specific it's very easy But very specific. It's not hard. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our everything, Son of the Most High. He's the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't make it hard and it isn't hard in any way, shape or form. It's people that makes it hard. But it's easy. It's very specific, but it's easy. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so we see here, let's start our study in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, this is so beautiful because sometimes, you know, you talk to people and sometimes it's the non-believers and the mockers, you know. Oh, you know, faith is nothing, you know, pie in the sky. You Christians, you do the fairy tales. You worship a God of fairy tales and all this stuff. It's like, well, hold on a second. Understand, understand. Understand. When the dead speak, you must know who is speaking. I'll say that again. When the dead speak, know, know in your heart of hearts, know who is speaking. And I don't say this in an an abrasive manner. But understand, we're not called to be stupid. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be forgiving. But we're never called to be stupid. And a lot of Christians get into trouble in not discerning the dead from the living. Because the dead, you know, oh, prayers don't work. Prayers don't work, you know. And people say it all the time, oh, I'm so sick of thoughts and prayers. We don't want the prayers. Prayers don't work. Now, understand, for them, they don't work because of formula. Remember, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear for a husband you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth the lord says hey i'm i'm not i'm i'm turning away that's what the lord says and i love how the bible says the wife of your youth you know why because first year of marriage the first first month of marriage every single husband is like oh you know yes he lovey-dovey this and that and everything's fine and dandy but after 40 years of marriage 50 years of marriage you see it changes and at the same time the lord says the wife of your
1: youth you see
0: (laughs) praise be to the lord and the lord says you want to be treacherous with the wife of your youth you know, she's, you know, 80 years old. She doesn't look like when she was when she was 20. But you want to deal treacherously with 80-year-old, your 80-year-old wife, but you know, she's the wife of your youth. You want to deal treacherously treacherously with her? Okay. You made your choice. Now I'm telling you what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna turn away. You can cry all you want. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the Bible says. I love that. See, the Lord doesn't make robots. He doesn't make robots. You and me, we have a choice to make. And so many times people say, oh, prayers don't work, prayers don't work. Well, why is that? Why is that? And here in Hebrews 11 in verse 1 says, now faith is the substance, the substance. Faith as a substance? Substance. And in the Greek it translates as it's foundational. Literally as a foundation to stand upon. Now I'm not a construction worker, but you know, I've been to a construction site before and the foundation that's concrete. You see? That's concrete. And the Bible says that faith is the substance or the it translates in the Greek as the literal foundation to stand upon. It is foundational. And the Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. You see, mankind hopes for a lot of things. I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But for the soul who is on the right frequency, and, you know, in the right frequency with the Lord and right with God according to how he instructs to be right with him, not in, acc- in accordance to what... A guy might think or a lady might think, but in accordance with what his word says. This, when this special people, the things that they hope for, they hope for beautiful things, holy things, because they're on the right frequency, you know, and and, you know, to hear the Lord, they have intimacy with him. The promises are effectuated. And other passages of Scripture come to life. The effectuation of God's promises. You know that our obedience unto Him is the effectuation of promises. Do you remember in Joshua 1? I, 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 I can't stop saying this enough and I can't emphasize it enough, but it was very, very difficult to teach Joshua 1. And the reason why is because I want every single one of us to lean on God's promises. Not just lean, but stand on God's promises. I want that. I desire that for all of us. But there are effectuators. I meant. For the Lord to say, be strong and courageous for I am with you. He said that to Joshua. You see, he didn't say that to Korah. You see, Joshua made his choice. Korah made his choice. You don't see the effectuation of promises in Korah, the good promises, but you see the effectuation of judgment upon Korah. Where is Korah now dead? Where are those who followed him dead? Why wrong formula. And when we understand this effectuation of promises, and it's not works-based. People say, "Well, that that means you're trying to work for salvation." Listen, we're talking about the effectuation of promises. It's not works-based in the sense of you know I gotta have ten converts today or else I'm gonna burn in hell. No, we don't work for salvation. But understand, we're not saved by works, but as the Word of God reveals, we are saved for works. And what are those works? Well, the Bible reveals obedience unto the Lord. Package deal. Faith without works is dead, brother James. In John 14, verse 12, it's Jesus who's speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the the works that I do, he will do also. Notice, same frequency, but deeper, because there is abiding in Christ. And so Jesus says, And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Remember when when Jesus told Mary, you know, don't hold on to me because I haven't yet ascended to my father. Well, when he ascends to his father, he says that he's going to send his spirit. What has he done? He sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13, still in John 14, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when the formula is right, promises become effectuated. With this passage in John 14, you see, people call Jesus, you know, oh, he's fake because, you know, they, they treat him like a genie. They rub the Bible and they treat him like a genie. They rub the Bible, you know, and oh, I, I get my three wishes. And they treat him like a genie or, you know, I'm going to rub my Bible and, uh you know, Jesus, please let me win the lottery tonight. And they, you know, they they rub the Bible. You know, oh Jesus, please let me let me let me hit it big at the casino. And they rub the Bible. Oh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus, you know, l- let me meet my future spouse while I get drunk at this bar. Wrong formula. Wrong formula. Jesus is not a genie. He's the Son of the Most High. Higher than the angels. At the right hand of God. And then they say, but, but Jesus, you, you say you will do. I ask and you will do. And I even ask it in your name, you know, Jesus, in your name, I ask you, let me hit it big at the casino. Wrong formula. Remember, faith is a package deal that includes, on our part, the doing. You see? Without the doing, the doing, Brother James says, faith is dead. Because if we're hearers only, I mean, anybody can hear the word. That's easy. But doing the word, applying the word of God in our lives, is a different ballgame. And without the doing part, Brother James correctly says that faith is dead. You see? But to the living, faith is Absolutely, a concrete foundation, a substance on which we stand. That's to the living. Because the living, they're not going to say, you know, oh, Jesus, give me, let me win the lottery. I ask this in your name. Oh, Jesus, give me a Ferrari. I ask this in your name, Lord. No, the living, the righteous, they're not going to ask for carnal things. They're on the right frequency with the Lord. They have intimacy with the Lord. And in that intimacy with the Lord, not in the old nature. Remember the old man, the old woman? That's the dead guy. That's the dead gal. But to be alive with Christ, you're not going to be asking for carnal things. And when that formula is right, and Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Anything in my name, I will do it. He says it twice in verse 13 and 14 of John 14. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. You see, because a lot of times people say, oh, you know what? My prayers aren't working. Well, there's several reasons why. Number one, maybe they are working and the Lord is just saying, you know, teaching you patience. Could be. Or maybe they're not working because there's a reason. You see? Oh, I'm doing the sex. I'm doing the crack. I'm doing the alcohol. I'm doing the Buddha, the the, the Mary, the, the, the Ouija boards, the occult, the extortion. Okay, wrong formula. Let's get back on the right frequency. You got to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. And let's get on the right frequency with the Lord, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. Not the fake one that says, you know, go ahead and do your sex, go ahead and do your crack. No, that's a fake one. But the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, says, go and sin no more. You see? Oh, but Lord, this is so difficult. I can't. Okay, he sends the helper. The Pericletus. And faith, in verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, it's unseen. Faith is unseen to the carnal eye, but the living do not walk by sight. The living walk by faith. With eyes to see and ears to hear, the living know that faith is a concrete substance that has proof and evidence you see there is a type of beautiful stubbornness i mean we see stubbornness in the bible and it's like usually it's attributed as a bad thing but there is a beautiful stubbornness and you know when the beautiful stubbornness is when everybody bows down to an idol when everybody bows down to a golden calf, who doesn't? When everybody bows down to Baal, who doesn't? When everybody bows down to Molech, who doesn't? To Asherah, who doesn't? When everybody bows down to the Asherah, who doesn't? When everybody bows down to the statue erected in the era of Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't? When everybody bows down to whatever idol, who doesn't? And that's the beautiful stubbornness that we refer to. This is, in speaking of this concrete substance called faith, verse 2 says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony, you see, or a good witness, a good testimony. Now, remember, the elders under Joshua With Joshua and the elders, Israel was in good hands. You see, leadership matters. But what better testimony is there than righteousness? And verse 2 says the elders obtained a good testimony. You see, those elders with Joshua, along with Joshua, they tasted of that inner chamber in the Old Testament. It's faith. And by faith, they obtained a good testimony. It's important to know, to repeat and repeat even more that faith, faith is a concrete substance. But that's for the living to know. It's for the living to understand that we, believers in Jesus Christ, have this concrete substance on which we stand, and that is faith. And I say this because a lot of Christians today don't see their own faith that way. It's more of a, you know, I hope this is the case. I I hope the Bible is real. Listen, allow your faith to become concrete more and more and more of a sure footing than the very earth you stand on. Remember, understand, faith can grow. That's how the Lord created us. Faith can grow. God doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. Balls in your court. I can't make that choice for you. You can't make that choice for me. But look at Hebrews 11 captures beautiful, beautiful souls. Male, female, young, old who understood, and by faith, the things that they did, did, action, being a doer of the word, not a hero only, but being a doer, you see, and so we see in verse three, by faith, we, I love this, because, you see, this chapter encapsulates so many beautiful heroes of mine, people who I love, male, female, everybody. I'm so in love with, you know, everybody in the Bible. Well, I mean, you know, the good ones. You know? <laughs> Korah, you know, not so much. But Joshua, yes. Phineas, yes. Korah, you know, I'll take a pass on that. But by faith, we. Straight up warriors in Hebrews 11 and verse 3 says, you, me, koinonia, ecclesia, the inclusion of us. And by faith, we continue in verse 3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. The worlds here in the Greek is aeon, which is the world and the ages. So, you know, we know the creation account. And from there, there is an order of events. You know, when we teach about You know, pre-law and the law and until the seed and then the seed and then the church age and the closing of the ages. You see, remember the disciples of Christ, they asked Jesus, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? because some translations like in here in verse three, we understand that the worlds were framed, but without proper context and without proper understanding of the, the Greek, that's why people formulate these ideas about like aliens and stuff, you know, Oh, does that mean there are other worlds and this world over here and this world over there and this and that. And they formulate these, this idea about like, you know, aliens and UFOs. But when you understand the ages, according to scripture, Pre-law, law, law, until the seed, seed, church age, and the time of the end. We teach in this manner for a reason. It's so that together we can understand. And with this understanding by faith, as verse 3 says, look how there is the inclusion of this peculiar people in Hebrews 11. A people of the way. By faith, we, in verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Remember, the word became flesh to dwell among us. as John chapter 1 verse 14. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. All things were made by him, through him, and for him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Creation itself testifies. It's Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Creation testifies. You go outside, you look at the grass. What does the grass do? It stretches up, it reaches towards the heaven. It's short, but it stretches up as high as it can. Beautiful, beautiful blades of grass. You see the trees, you look at the trees and what do they do? You know, the sun comes out and you see the leaves, they move and they stretch up and they're a little taller than the grass, but they come in various sizes and heights
1: but they stretch up to the heavens.
0: You see, when the people were praising Jesus and saying, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the Pharisees told Jesus, they said, "Rebuke!" they say to him, rebuke your disciples. That's what they told him, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees, they were blind and deaf, presuming to give counsel to the man, speaking of Jesus, And they had no idea who he was. And Jesus responded to them. He says, you know, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. I remember one time I was watching like a science show. And I'm watching a a science show. And it was very interesting because they were talking about like uh, like, uh, light waves and sound waves. And there was a scientist guy. And he had this. Machine that he developed or this scientific experiment experiment using this machine. He developed And he was turning light into sound And he was explaining it and they're outdoors. He picks up a rock a rock and he like like in, in a in a dark environment You know, he has this rock in a dark environment and he has this machine that he created. And in this dark environment, I mean, they were outdoors, but he had this like this, like a box, you know, and there was this dark environment where the machine that there was like no distinct sound. But then as soon as that box was lifted and then there was light, the way the rays of the sun hit the stone and, you know, through the, the rays and everything, it bounced off the rock and the machine that he developed could interpret those rays as audio and he played it and you could hear it and I, and that's the first thing i thought about was when jesus says if they if these people keep silent the stones will cry out and this scientist on the show he you could hear the audio of from the stones as light projected you know off the stone and interpreted into sound you get and the very first thing i thought about was the words of our lord that the stones would cry out you see the worlds were framed by the word of god as is revealed verse 3 by faith we understand you know the people will say well you know 2 billion trillion whatever years ago you know 500 million years ago or whatever they say nowadays it keeps changing 500 million years ago but we by faith we understand that the worlds were framed the ages were framed i mean you know you, you the, the scientists now they do their carbon dating Carbon dating. Oh, this, this rock is, you know, 5 billion years old. This, but you ask a scientist, ask a scientist, ask him, you know, what happens if I were to take this branch and, you know, submerge it in the water for a month, how would that reflect on carbon dating? They said, no, we can't, we can't take that data. We can't take that data because the water just makes everything just out of whack. Okay. Okay. What about the flood? What about the flood? That throws their carbon dating just all out of whack. You cannot rely on carbon dating. Why? Because of the flood. The data doesn't reveal accurate. It's it's inaccurate. Because it was submerged. And the world, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Meanwhile, the very word of God that we understand the worlds were framed. It collects dust on people's shelves. It collects dust in people's hearts. You see? And all the while, our Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. We understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You see, it's like the underbelly, underbelly of reality, which is the real reality. I mean, if you ever hear people say, you know, I believe in a higher power or, you know, I believe in God, but not your God. I I believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. Well, why not? You know, when you hear somebody ask you that question, oh, you know, or they they pose that statement to you, you know, I believe in the God. I believe in God, but not, you know, your God or the God of the Bible. Just ask them point blank. Why not? Why not? Listen, if that's you, if you're not a believer and you believe in a higher power, you believe in God and the God of the Bible, Understand, that's how he made you. That's how he made you. Wonderfully. With eternity on your heart, you see, eternity is written on the hearts of all of creation. In in the species of man, you know, each according to their kind. And in the species of man, eternity on the heart. You see, birds don't plan for retirement. Deer don't plan for retirement. They don't plan things out. It is the humans. It is mankind. Because we think about the future. You see, yes, there is a future where people often wonder about the future. You know, what is the future? Retirement. Or nowadays, like nuclear war. Is there going to be nuclear war? Or, you know, what's going to happen? This You know, everybody thinks about the future. But the deer... Animals, you know, birds, they don't think like that. But mankind does. Why? Because on our hearts is written eternity. That's how we were created. You see? And so we look for, I mean, forget retirement, forget like nuclear war, forget whatever it is. And let's look further down the road into eternity. See, people say, oh, you know what? The Bible, it's so fake. The Bible, it's not real. Let me tell you something. There's nothing more real. There's nothing more real. The fairy tale is this world that we live in. That's the fairy tale.
1: Because it's fading.
0: There is a... Deeper reality or a real reality. You see, this eternity that God created, and He put that in you, that's how you and me were made. It's like a magnet. And when you connect with God through the means that He made based on His instructions, which is the Word of God. And the Word became flesh. And when you connect with His only begotten Son, Jesus, it's not only that you stick to Him, but you'll find something even deeper than that.
1: Home. Home. And I tell you from experience.
0: Other religions, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol relationships, home. It's with Jesus. There is no other place. It's with Jesus. And that's what's so powerful. We're just in verse 3. It's so powerful. Satan knows this. Satan knows this and he does not want anybody to understand. You see the things that which are made were not made of things which are visible. Now, let's look at this concrete substance. This is this concrete substance. It's remember more sure than the earth on which we stand and this faith. In verse four, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God. Now notice here, offered to God, not faith is a noun offered is a verb. This is why brother James inspired of the spirit says faith and works are a package deal. They're inseparable. Just in verse four, you have able by faith, Abel offered to God. You have faith and works together. You see, because faith is the noun, offer is the verb, and you have faith and works together. Package deal. And in Abel, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You see, what is the condition of the heart? We know that God loves a cheerful giver. And I wonder, I just wonder what the hearts of these two were like back then. Perhaps not very different from the hearts of men today. Where we have both cheerful givers and grumpy givers. Listen, if you're grumpy about giving unto the Lord, don't give. Don't give. Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He wants a cheerful giver. I mean, it's, a cheerful now it it doesn't dollar amount matters nothing remember the two mites the woman with the two mites i mean you picture that and you know when you read the the gospels in chronological order you know you see what happens is that you know the the synagogue or the at the temple it's at you know at a little distance they're kind of like across the street Jesus with his disciples and they're observing people giving tithes you know giving their you know monetarily and they're observing it and jesus says to them you see that woman over there she was poor you see that woman over there now i don't know what she was dressed like but it probably wasn't like you know gucci it was probably you know maybe like homemade stuff you know it probably wasn't you know gucci or whatever so you know she's you see that woman over there? Jesus says, and the disciples they observe and they see, they see people with their big money bags, and they people okay. This guy's dressed nicely. This lady's dressed nicely, and wow, you know, and big old money bags, and look, everything's, you know, the guy looks like wow. Surely this guy's sacrificing his his sacrifice is better, his offering is better, and Jesus says, no. You see that lady over there? Not she wasn't wearing the Gucci, you know, and her two mites, plink. Plink, and Jesus says, "She's given more
1: because he sees the heart, and in her poverty."
0: I mean, a hundred dollars to a rich guy—that's—that's that's not any. I mean, that's like you know the equivalent of like you know a nickel, a, a, a five cents. If that, you know, depending on how wealthy, you know, $100 is is nothing. A billionaire, $100, nothing. But for a poor person, $100, that can last a month. You see? And so you have this lady, plink, plink, her two mites. A more excellent sacrifice. She wasn't grumpy, cheerful willing, and Jesus points her out, and praise be to the Lord, you know, of that line, we only speak of her, we honor her, the other people, who are they, who cares, this beautiful woman, this beautiful soul, with the two mites, blink, blink, and God's economy We think differently. We see differently because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And going back to the Old Testament in verse 4 that yes, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. You see, Abel was righteous, yes. But there was evidence of it through works, which is a package deal. You see, the Old Testament testifies of this very truth. This is before the law. This is before Moses. You see, and there's more. God testifying of his gift. So the offering of Abel and God knowing the heart of Abel and God as witness to the very offering of Abel. It's He sees the heart He sees the heart The two mites He saw her heart He knows her heart Abel He knows his heart And God in verse 4 Testifying of his gifts And through it He being dead Still speaks You see Abel He died many many moons ago But through the testifying of God Who lives? Abel dies, God lives. And God through his word teaches us and speaks plainly. As is revealed here in verse 4 and through it he being dead still speaks. Here we are. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later and here we are. Abel's dead and yet it still speaks through the living God and through his word. Verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Remember Genesis, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember a little refresher course, Genesis chapter five, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. You see, when we think of the rapture, you know, people say, oh, it's so hard to believe, you know, why is it like this? Understand, there's nothing new under the sun. Look at Enoch. His faith was rewarded. And, you know, just as we see with Abel, there was like in verse four, you know, by faith, Abel offered to God. We see the noun and we see the verb. God has a verb, too. Because, you know, you have Enoch's faith, which is a noun. Enoch walked, which, you know, is a verb, but he walked with God. What's God's verb? He took Enoch. He took Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And we see here in Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He was taken. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, before he was taken, I'll say it again. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. This was before he was taken. Just like in Joshua 1. You know, in Joshua 1, I want all of us to lean and stand on those promises of God. But you hit the rewind button in Joshua, and you see, he made his choice. He honored the Lord long ago, decades prior. When all Israel was defiled, who wasn't?
1: You see? And you
0: see Enoch, that he pleased God. And that was his testimony. His life was a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And yes, he was taken, but this testimony of his? Before he was taken, he pleased the Lord. And notice in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, God moves. God moves. His handiwork is clearly seen. And intimacy with God, it's not only a frame of mind, but it is absolutely a state of being. And He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, in verse 7, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen. You see, Jesus refers to the last days as the days of Noah, just like the days of
1: Noah. You see?
0: And here in verse 7 says that Noah was divinely warned of Things not yet seen. What about divine warning from the Word of God? When Jesus says the last days are like the days of Noah. Well, look what Noah did action. You see? Faith and works. Action. Hearing and doing. Not being a hearer only, but also being a doer. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with God, moved, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household or family is how it translates by which he condemned the world. You see, the actions of Noah, as instructed, the blueprints given to him, there was condemnation for those who refused to heed. He was a preacher of righteousness. But there was no condemnation for Noah and his family. You see. And God is a rewarder. You see. Just like we see in verse 6. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Noah diligently sought him. And so there was condemnation on the world. Who did not diligently seek him. But for Noah. Notice. He condemned the world. By you know, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of the house of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, we look at this and be like, wait a second, there was condemnation on the world? Oh, that's so mean, that's so mean. But don't forget, anytime there is judgment, anytime there is wrath. Precursory to that, there is a door of grace. There is a door of grace. There is a condemnation coming. But there is a door of grace. You see, it, this door isn't going to be open forever. It will be closed just as the, 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 the door to the ark was closed. I mean, Noah, he didn't turn around and close the door. No, it was the Lord who closed the door. And in the same manner, this door of grace will be closed again by the Lord. You see, and God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, balls in your court. You have a choice to make. If you're listening, you're not a believer, hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen. And we grow together. We journey together. Our faith can grow together. You see? And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him as is revealed in verse 6. By faith, Abraham, in verse 8, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. You see, who does this today? Who does this today? Missionaries today? You know, I I teach from America. And in America, in Western cultures, the missionaries, they're different from other countries. They're not like how they used to be. They're different in a bad way. Missionaries today, you know, and I've had these conversations, you know, get a phone call, you know, the Lord has called me to be a missionary in Mozambique, you know, and they'll explain, oh, yeah, there's this and that. And, you know, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you know, will you know, will you commit to give me, you know, $500 a month? Will you commit to do, you know, $100 a month? Will you commit to, you know, do $20 a month if you want to be a part of what God is doing? But when we read the book of Acts, that support from the Lord, it's in real time. It's in real time. There's not like advanced planning or anything. It's in real time. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Abraham, he didn't know where he was going, and yet he obeyed. You know, somebody calls, you know, hey, you know, the Lord has called me to be a missionary in Mozambique. And it's like, wow, cool. You know, this is a pretty you got good, good phone connection. This sounds like you're like, you know, on, you know, in the same town. This is a really good phone connection. Oh, no, 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 no. I haven't gone yet. What? The Lord called you to Mozambique and you're still here? You see? The Lord called you and you're still here? Because when we see how the Lord provides, he does so in real time. Notice what we see in verse uh, um, um, in verse 8 you know, with Abraham. He didn't know where he was going. You see? What a strong message that is for missionaries of today. Missionaries of today. Called of the Lord. I mean, if it's the Lord who's calling. Oh, because you will, there will be provision. But when you read the book of Acts, you see, wow, this is in real time, even pastors, pastors. Oh, you know what? My plan for the ministry is this and that my five-year plan for the ministry. My 10-year plan for the ministry is this and that. Listen, what about pastors who don't even have a five-minute plan? Those are the pastors I like. They don't have a five-minute plan. You know why? Because the Lord, it's in real time. The Lord guides. The Lord leads. It's in real time. You take a new pastor. And the old seasoned pastors, you know, the learned pastor, the establishment pastors. I'm doing my air quotes. Hey, young pastor, you know, welcome to the club, young pastor. Tell us what your five-year plan for ministry is. And he says, I don't even have a five minute plan. I don't even have a five second plan. Do you know how foolish the new pastor is? Do you know how foolish the new pastor seems to be to the so-called seasoned pastors and they laugh them off. They laugh him away. Oh, where did you go to seminary? The young pastor says, I didn't go to seminary. They laugh even harder. You see what they dismiss as foolish. Instead of testing, and I don't mean testing like, you know, like interrogation, I mean testing like, tell us more. You see, when the Lord becomes forgotten, we have examples in the Word of God of what the Lord does in raising up judges, male and female, in the book of Judges. We have examples of The Lord raising up a certain people for such a time as this in their day, but for us in our day for such a time as this. And when I say both male and female, understand there's this very specific formula and blueprint for pastoral leadership, which is male, always coverings, always male, elders, elders and pastors, always male. You see, it's not the, you know, a lot of women go off into crazy town and become female pastors. No, that's unbiblical. And we, you know, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study on Wednesday and you'll understand more. Exhortation for women. My sisters in Christ. It's beautiful. From the Old Testament, the book of Judges. It's beautiful how the Lord takes these people, male, female, young, old, and how he uses them for his purpose. You see, you want to know the saddest thing about establishment pastors today? These so-called shepherds are leading a flock when they have no intimacy with Jesus. And I'm talking about an intimate intimacy. A closeness that is more real than a closeness that can be found anywhere else. Like Abraham, like Hannah like Samuel and their intimacy with the Lord, Chloe, Phoebe, Paul, Timothy, Titus. It's so beautiful. It's glorious. But where are the eyes and the ears of today in these last days? Or It is prophesied. It is prophesied. Apostasy is is prophesied to happen. And it's already happening. But it's going to get worse. And yet we have these examples of faith, which has the accompaniment of works. Why? Package deal. Abraham didn't know where he was going. And by faith, in verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So we ju- we just studied this on Wednesday. It just so happens. It just so happens. Remember, Deborah? You see, remember Deborah, the prophetess judge? But then there was another Deborah, the wet nurse of Rebecca, who gave milk to Jacob. And in the very promised land that, you know, That we see in the the very promised land that we see in Joshua and Judges. These are the lands that were previously tread by Abraham. And speaking of Isaac and Jacob in verse 9. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. You see there there is a major push for interfaithism today. Interreligious dialogue ecumenical movement the abrahamic faiths they say attempting to unify and bring unity and peace but the bible the promises of god heirs of the promise it goes from abraham isaac jacob whose name was changed to Israel, remember the stump in Isaiah, the root of Jesse, the seed. And like Joseph, who has a Gentile bride, there's a very specific order, order of events encapsulated in the truth of God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. The Pope The Pope, Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, he wants to bring world faiths together using Abraham. Listen, wrong formula. Somebody get that guy a Bible. Wrong formula. Because the heirs of promise extend to Isaac and Jacob and that lineage goes on. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel until the seed, remember? Remember? Vicar of Christ, they call the Pope. You know what I call him? Vicar of Antichrist. Today, we have prominent religious leaders who are jumping on the bandwagon of, you know, unity. Unity, unity, unity. And they're basing it on ties to Abraham. But according to the flesh, there are absolutely ties to Abraham. But that's the flesh. Heirs of promise, according to Spirit. There's a very distinct lineage where no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. You see, Christian pastors today, they're on board with this Antichrist agenda in the name of peace. You must not follow these blind guides, they're being revealed. More and more as we as we get on with each day, more and more are being revealed where a pastor comes out and says, oh, yeah, I'm on board with this agenda. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, you know, uh, 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 forming this coalition together with this initiative in the name of peace. And it's happening. Some major Pentecostal churches are aligning themselves with the Roman Catholic Church. And it's all in the name of peace. It's happening. You see, they call themselves pastors, but there's a very specific formula. Everything has to align. It has to align with the word of God and the blueprints that he instructs. Going back to Abraham and in, in, in verse 9, we see that, you know, with, you know, the heirs with him, Abraham dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob with the, the heirs with them of the same promise. For he waited, uh, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, where is logic and intellect so far? I mean, straight up, we've been I mean, just, just in Abraham alone. Where, I mean, okay, let's, let's add in Abel and Enoch too. And Noah, where is logic and intellect so far? I mean, was Abraham a a, a brilliant strategist? Was Abraham an intellectual? Did Abel, did he uh, uh, apply his intellect to strategize XYZ? Did Enoch strategize? Did Noah strategize? Where is logic and intellect? You see, by this concrete substance that we call faith. Abraham, he waited for the city which has foundations in verse 10, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah, Sarah herself, also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him to be faithful. She, How it translates is she deemed and considered him as faithful and trustworthy who had made the promise. You see? I mean, we read verse 11 and yes, it's beautiful. But When we read the account in the Old Testament, we also see that it's kind of a bumpy ride. I mean, the first instinct of Sarah was to laugh. Remember the three laughs where the Lord gave the promise and Abraham laughed? Sarah caught wind of it. She laughed. And now they have their child. God laughs. That's what the name means. Three laughs. Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, then God laughed. Don't forget Abraham. He's an old guy. Sarah was an old lady. They have no kids. And I love it so much because the impossible was possible. I meant what's impossible for God. He's an old guy. How can he have kids? She's an old lady. How can she have kids? What happens? They have kids. They have a son. And that lineage, it's put in motion. Heirs of Abraham. You think, wait a second, but she laughed. But she laughed. Does that mean that she doubted? Abraham laughed too. Does that mean that he doubted? And yes, you see this laughter. But even within Sarah, even within Abraham, you see in them themselves, their faith had grown. I meant... It's the same with you and me where faith can grow. It's the same for, it can be the same for every single person on the planet. Why? Because every single person was created with eternity and a measure of faith. You see, I mean, just like we said earlier, the birds, they're not thinking about retirement. The deer, they don't think about retirement. They don't think about the future. They don't think about five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. It's humans that do that. I mean, you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a kid will give you an answer. Well, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that because they're looking forward. They're, they're forward looking. But what happens when we look beyond a point in the earthly realm and we look at the heavenly realm?
1: You see? Satan knows this. Satan knows this.
0: Everybody is created with eternity and a measure of faith. Everybody. But remember Luke 8? In Luke 8, verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see? I mean... Just as we speak of arrested development and the dangers of not maturing in Christ, there is an earlier arrested development where growth is stunted and both are of the devil. Somebody hears the word of God. The devil comes and takes the seed out of their heart because he doesn't want anybody to believe and be saved. Because he wants to take those people to hell. He wants to take God's creation to hell. He knows he's going to go there. He just wants to take God's creation with him. It's a battle for souls. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are 100% entirely spiritual. And we fight not according to the flesh. It's according to the spirit. The rules of engagement. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, it's the difference of Fallujah and Haiti. Different rules of engagement. Different theater of operations. Old Testament has one. New Testament has another. Same commander. You see? And so we see that Sarah... In in verse eleven, by faith, that she received strength to conceive, and she was an old lady, you see, and she judged him as faithful who had promised. In verse twelve, therefore, from one man, speak, this is speaking of old man Abraham, and him as good as dead. You know this, you know. I love this so much. I love this so much because remember they're old. They you know, old man Abraham, old woman Sarah. No kids. And while the Bible reveals that according to the flesh, Abraham is old and as good as dead here in verse 12. But yet they do receive the promised child. The promised son. You see, I'll say something that may seem a little left field here. Abraham and Sarah, <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah, they took a little stumble because when, when we look at the events of the last days from a geopolitical standpoint, one might say it's not a little stumble at all. It's a big deal. If you've been walking with us for a while and remember our studies through Genesis, how many times do you remember hearing us say, you know, it's one big family dispute that will ultimately be settled by Jesus when he returns.
1: You see? The Antichrist
0: and those with the Antichrist spirit, they will attempt To settle things. They will attempt. In this ecumenical movement. In this interfaithism. In this bringing the Abrahamic faiths together. But it's carnal. It is incapable. There is only one who can address the heart. Only one. And that's Jesus. Until the seed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Stump, root of Jesse. John the Baptist preparing the way. And then, boom. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the
1: sin of the world.
0: What the Lord has done. You see? What the Lord has done. And so we see here that, yes, Abraham, he's an old man. He's so old, as good as dead, he says in verse 12. And in that state, it's like, wow, it's impossible. You know, how could this old guy have a kid? How can this old lady have a kid? And, but from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. You see, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was Sarah who birthed. And the lineage always comes from the female. Yet the Bible says from one man were born the multitude. Don't forget the loins. Don't forget the loins. Remember our Hebrew 7 study? Don't forget the loins. And we continue here in verse 13. That these all died in faith. You see, these aren't short-term believers. I love it. These are not short-term believers. You see, their faith grew and they remained steadfast. Remember, this is not the majority. The majority, they have not applied the mixture of faith. That's from Hebrews 4. They did not have the mixture of faith. But these people in Hebrews 11... They did. They had the mixture of faith. And so we see in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. You see, these mockers of the last days. What a cruel God, they would say. What a cruel God. To promise and not give. That's so cruel. And here is revealed in verse 3 that they died in the faith. Not having received the promises. Now, we'll paint it this way. Have you ever seen a child at her birthday? A young child at her birthday. Where there's a gathering and there's food and there's cake and the friends are there and there's wrapped presents. But there's an order to events. The child can see the presents and she's very, very excited. But she cannot open them yet. You see, she cannot open it. We got to do the games with the little kids. And then, you know, we got to eat. And then there's more games. And then the whole time, she cannot wait to open the presents. She's so excited. But then we got to do the cake. And we got to eat the cake. And even still, the presents have not been opened. And she's overflowing with excitement. Now, to the mocker is this cruel Is this cruel treatment upon the child? No, not at all. You see, there are promises, but these promises also come with an order of events. And in verse 13, we see that these beautiful souls, they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, we haven't even got to Moses. We're not even in Moses yet. But living on earth, these beautiful souls see the promises way in the distance. You see, seeing this cannot be done with carnal eyes. They had eyes to see and ears to hear and understand that these promises Just like the excitement of a young child who cannot wait to open her gifts. These promises had an order of events, past tense, and have an order of events, future tense. These are things that we'll look at more in our study today. Notice that standing on this concrete substance called faith, they, as verse 13 reveals, they received the promises. They were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed. Now in the Greek, confess is a verb. Homologeo. In the Greek. Homu and logos. Two words. Homu and the combination of two words. Homu and logos. You know what that is? Together with the word. I love that. As a verb. To be in full agreement, to align with and to covenant with. As a verb, to covenant with. You see, and in covenant, not leaning on promises, straight up standing firm on promises. By and through this concrete substance that we call faith. Knowing, 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 knowing that this earth is not my home. You see, we haven't even got to Moses yet. We haven't even got to Moses yet. You see, verse 13, yes, they died in the faith, and yes, they did not receive the promises, but they were assured of them. They they having seen them afar off, they were way in the future, way off into the distance of the future. They could see it that from that inner chamber of faith. Well, we haven't even got to Moses yet, but still there was faith. And we're assured of them, these promises. They embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, I have something to say for my Jewish friends. I I, I love you. But to my Jewish friends, understand that Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac... Isaac, who drank milk from Deborah, geographically, they were in the promised land. I meant Beth El. Geographically, they were in the promised land while confessing, we're just passing by. While confessing, we're just strangers and pilgrims here. You see? So if the promised land that we read in Torah and see in Joshua, is not the promised land according to not the flesh. Where do we go? Where do we go? You see, the patriarch himself, Father Abraham, has testified and does testify. And that's what we see here in verse 13. 13. They didn't receive the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. You see, so in verse 13, they confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. But if they're geographically in the promised land and recognize that we're, you know, we're just strangers and pilgrims, well, if they were speaking carnally or thinking carnally, they would say, okay, l- let's just go back. But no. No. They're geographically in the promised land and They acknowledge, yes, that they are strangers and pilgrims. They could have gone back, yes. But they didn't draw back. And still acknowledge themselves as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. How is this explained? Well, let's continue. In verse 16. But now they desire a better, notice, this is to, you know, but, you know, now they desire a better, translates as to reach out and long for something better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God, now remember, God is reactionary and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, as we read in verse six. Therefore, God, look at what he does is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. This, this is home. Home. Point blank. This is home. I mean, you hear us say jump ship. You hear us say let's journey together. Let's walk together. Let's grow together. But to where?
1: Verse 16 is the
0: answer. That's where we're going. It's home. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now, the, Abraham offering Isaac, understand this as instructed by the Lord. This isn't just some idea that he got. No, this is as instructed by the Lord and also stopped by the Lord. It's very important to understand covenants and rules of engagement and promises and the order in the proper sequence of events. It is very, very, very important because when that gets out of whack, so do a whole lot of other things, you know, I remember reading an article about a Christian lady. She killed her kids and she was adamant that her faith was being tested and confident that the Lord would stop her like he did with Abraham. But number one, it wasn't the Lord that spoke to her. It was not the Lord that spoke to her. It was Satan presenting himself as an angel of light. It wasn't the Lord. She had a terrible, whoever her pastor was terrible. Has no business in the pulpit. Why? Because she wasn't equipped for that fight. And so she just figures, okay, this is the Lord telling me. And the Lord says, you know, he, he, he stopped Abraham, so maybe he'll stop me. Very recently, I was listening to some rabbis weigh in on the matter of Abraham and Isaac. And I cried. I wept. They would reference Talmudic understandings and various rabbis throughout the ages and still unable to come to the right conclusion of the biblical text, the ancient text and Torah. By faith, by faith, Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the Lamb. This is found in Genesis 22 in Torah. Now, now, In sacrificing Isaac The Lord stopped Abraham The Lord stopped Abraham And there was An animal caught in the thicket Which They did sacrifice But this is not fulfillment Of what Abraham by faith Was referring to because the animal in the thicket was a ram, not a lamb. Through this singular account found in Genesis 22 in Torah, Father Abraham reveals something spectacular. That God will provide for himself a lamb. God will provide for himself Now, remember, the whole purpose of functionality in tabernacle, temple, and church, understanding the ages, covenants, and orders, sequence of events, the ages, it's for people to be right with God. Remember our study to Leviticus? For people to be right with God. There was blood atonement because, remember, life is in the blood. In the Old Covenant, there's one way. In the New Covenant, there is a more perfect way. Not of the blood of rams and bulls. And Father Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. And this poses several questions. If God will provide for himself, the lamb, does God need to be right with God? And if God needs a lamb, has God sinned? And being for himself and God providing, are there two gods? The only way this statement of Father Abraham fits in the entirety of Holy Scripture is encapsulated in one little verse with a big promise and is found in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see? There are not two gods. It's Jesus who says, I and my Father are one. You see? Does God need a lamb? Yes. For himself? No. What for? Because... He so loves the world. Does God need to be right with God? No. God doesn't sin. We do. It's you and me who needs to be right with the Lord. And I'll echo echo the words of Father Abraham in a different way. God has provided the lamb. Moses wrote about this lamb in Torah. Moses, he wrote about Jesus.
1: You see, it's the only way. It's the only way this
0: statement of Abraham fits. It's in Jesus. Because the very statement, remember, the ram in the thicket, it wasn't a lamb. And the only way it fits is in Jesus. And I say this to my Jewish friends whom I love. And we see in verse 17 that he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding in verse 19 that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Now notice, according to promise, Abraham has Isaac, but the Lord... Told him so. There's Isaac, but the Lord told him there would be born an innumerable amount, an innumerable as the sand, as the sand. Now, according to the flesh, there's a disconnect, and I love it because that's according to the flesh.
1: You see, he he has
0: Isaac. It's I mean. Picture that for a moment when the Lord says, you know your your heirs are gonna be like the stars you see in the sky. So he Abraham looks up at the sky, sees the stars. He looks at the earth and sees Isaac. You know he doesn't see like one, two, three, four, five, six. You know a million, two million, three million. He doesn't see that. He looks up at the stars. Okay, that's not just one star. He looks at the earth, Isaac. It's like, wait a second, there's a disconnect Because the promise of God says innumerable And I love it so much, you know why? Because Abraham comes to a conclusion And that is found here in verse 19 Concluding that God was able to raise him up Even from the dead You see? You don't see Abraham trying to manipulate anything. This is another lesson that he had to learn. And it's kind of like, you know, the the stumble of both Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham and Sarah on their way to 100%. They went from, you know, 40% and maybe down to 30% through that stumble. Which is a pretty big deal in the grand scheme of things because Jesus, he's going to settle it all. It's one big family dispute and he's going to settle it all. This is a lesson that they had to learn in both Abraham and Sarah. They didn't, you know, when Abraham, he remembers the promises of God that his descendants are going to be like the stars. And it's like, well, you know, this, there's, there's Isaac. No stars. I mean, number wise. And so Abraham concludes. I love this. In verse 19, concluding that God was able. Just pause right there. Concluding that God was able. I'll say that again concluding that God was able. And I say it like that for a reason. Because a lot of times, in our lives as Christians, in our lives as Christians, and I don't mean like in our lives as Christians and in another life. We're, no, I mean in other lives. As, we're, we're Christians. And sometimes, it's like there's a little disconnect between what the word of God says and what we're able to see in our lives. I mean, you read about the promises of the Lord and it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. I want this. And then you look at your life and it's like, but I don't have this. And in the case of Abraham, he concluded that God was able what about in our lives when we have these promises and yes we can not just lean but stand on these promises of the lord and it's like but wait a second lord your word promises goodness and yet here i am here i am and i don't i don't have the very things that you promise now Sometimes there's reasons for that. I mean, sometimes it's because, you know, formula. but Sometimes it's a matter of patience. In this world, we will have tribulation. It is by tribulation that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. We're not in paradise. Paradise is a future event. We're not there yet. And Satan doesn't want anybody to go there. You think he's not going to fight? He will. And he fights cheap. It's not a clean fight. He fights cheap. And I'm not trying to say, okay, we got to fight too and let's get dirty. No. We fight according to the word of the Lord. According to his rules of engagement for the new covenant. Not the old covenant. The new covenant. Abraham is like, wow, well, Lord, you promised the stars. And I meant, you know, no disrespect to Isaac, but like, Lord, you promised the stars. And I just got Isaac. You know, I, I don't want to come off that way. But I meant, there's a little disconnect there. It's like, you know, you, you go out, if you're, if you're in a city, you might see like one or two stars in the sky. But you go out in the boonies where there's no city nearby, you're going to see like big stars, little stars. You're going to see like the, the night sky is just painted with. Glowing dots all over the place. The sky that Abraham saw. And Lord, you say my my descend, my heirs are going to be more? And then he looks at Isaac. And what's so beautiful. Abraham didn't doubt God. He did not doubt. He concluded that God was able to raise him up. You see, Abraham, Father Abraham himself looks to the resurrection. Even from the dead, it is written in verse 19, a future event for him. a Still, for us, a future event. It was for Abraham way off in the distance. For us... Closer today, you see, and this conclusion of Abraham, of Abraham that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense, you see, in sleeping and awaiting. Understand, you know when. Remember when Saul. We haven't really studied this. I mean, we have you know points of mention and referring to this, but when. Saul in the Old Testament sought the counsel from the witch of Endor. And when Samuel rises, you know, Samuel has died. But when Samuel rises, he says, why have you disturbed me? And Jesus speaks of the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16. Jesus himself is in the bosom of the father in John chapter 1 verse 18. It's like, wait a second. What is this referring to? Number one, intimacy. But then number two, and I speak both spiritually and literally, it is in this realm where we can see fulfillment. Innumerable as the sand. The bosom of Abraham.
1: You see? And there's more.
0: In terms of innumerable as the sand. More are being added. Heirs of Abraham by faith. You see? In verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You see, both Jacob and Esau had a choice to make. It is true that the Bible says, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. But Esau made his choice. Jacob made his choice. Esau made his choice. You see, Esau was a a fornicator, a godless fornicator. And God is reactionary. And you know, the Calvinists say, oh, you know, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Jacob he loved, Esau hated. Well, Esau made his choice. Mercy is conditional. When you read the passages of Torah, mercy is conditional to those who love me and follow my commandments. You see? What does the Lord command? Then you get Hebrew roots, you see. Okay, to those who love me and follow my commandments, so we got to follow the commandments. No, hold on. Because of the switch from Aaron to to Melchizedek, from Levi to Judah, because of that jump, there also of necessity is a changing, the jumping, the changing of the law. You see? Not the Ten Commandments. Not the commandments found in Torah, in Leviticus, in Numbers. Not. No. It's to abide in Christ, which is the fulfillment of the law. Esau made his choice. Jacob made his choice. And the Lord responded accordingly. And so we see in verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph before his own kids. Notice, before his own kids, he blessed his grandkids, born of a Gentile woman. These are the sons of Joseph. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Genesis. An old man, Jacob, blessing his grandkids before his own kids. You see, in the new covenant, there are blessings of God for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. With the sons of Jacob, they were blind for a time until it was revealed who was at the right hand of Pharaoh. You see, it was Joseph. It was Joseph who they surrendered up. And in the course of time, they later surrendered themselves. Nothing new under the sun. Jacob, when he was dying, in verse 21, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses. Now we're in Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. You see, the parental role for the next generation. You see, Moses had a choice to make, but that doesn't negate the role of his parents. You see, and I say that as a spe- special exhortation for parents. I love you, but don't forget the millstone. Kids are going to make their choice, but that doesn't negate your role as parent. Your duty as parent. And so by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. You see, the command was to kill the babies. The parent says, no, he's a beautiful child. You know, and this is so appropriate for our culture today because there are politicians today I teach from America, and this is happening all over the world, but there are politicians today in America who say that their political platform is that a child is not considered human until it leaves the threshold of the hospital doors. And it's all in worship of Molech
1: to kill babies. Wickedness. Wickedness, and it's spreading.
0: Fast, it's spreading. I mean, you see the political commercials on TV, and a person's platform is all for abortion. That's it. Oh, don't for don't vote for this guy. Don't vote for this lady, because if you do, and they come to power, you're not going to be able to get an abortion. So vote for me. I'll make it good for you. You see, wickedness. Wickedness. It's going to get worse, much worse. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, let's not forget that. There are a lot of perks to be the the, the, the daughter of, you know, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There are a lot of perks with that. A lot of perks. And Moses, he denied it all.
1: You see? Oh,
0: but Moses, you could have all this. You could have all that. But Moses refused it. Notice in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see? To enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a temporary time. And that's how this translates in the Greek in verse 25. To enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, Satan, he isn't going to lure anybody with the kick in the teeth. He's not going to say, hey, walk with me. I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes. No, he's very crafty and a very crafty, skilled fisherman. He lures with candy. He lures with the pleasures of sin. You see, with an old nature, there are enjoyable and pleasurable aspects of sin. I don't want to get graphic, but this is undeniable. But with a new nature, a new nature as new creations, there are new things that are enjoyable and pleasurable. Holy things that are pleasurable and enjoyable. But it's only when a person reckons the old man dead, the old woman dead. You see? Somebody says, well, why why do we see the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the extortion inside the church today? That's precisely the point. Why? Who is the soul? Where is the soul that has reckoned the old man dead and the old woman dead? Where? Picture Moses. Picture Moses. He's at a fork in the road. One side are the pleasures of Egypt. I meant as a son of Pharaoh's daughter or to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. On one side are the pleasures of Egypt. On the other side are the doldrums of bondage and affliction. And that's what Moses chose. Not just choosing affliction, but rejecting the opulence
1: of Egypt. You see? Rejecting the opulence of Egypt.
0: It's important to note, I don't say this as a, you know, class warfare sense, like we see in the peddlers doing today, carnally speaking. You know, carnally speaking, I'm all for upward mobility, but it's when the Lord who does the mobilizing. I mean, look at Barnabas. Joseph was his name. The apostles, they're the ones who gave him the name Barnabas, son of encouragement, because he was very wealthy and also very giving. You see? And in the case of Moses... In verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Number one, how could there be reproach of Christ in Torah? There's only one way. There's only one way. I mean, just like we studied not too long ago, how could Joshua... Worship an angel and not be condemned by God. There's only one way.
1: Moses wrote about Jesus.
0: And notice when Moses made his choice of affliction over opulence, this was pre-burning bush. and But even still... There was something mustering inside of Moses, which create, you know, don't forget that mustering that, that Moses himself, you know, just as we looked at earlier, how we're created with this eternity in our hearts. I bet the, the birds don't think about the future humans do. And Moses was created with eternity in his heart and a measure of faith as, is, as it is written. And in the course of time, for such a time as for Moses in those days, there was a burning bush. But it was in the course of time. Prior to that, there was still this Burning in his heart, so to speak. And I want to say something to the non-believer, if you're listening. You also were created with eternity in your heart, with a measure of faith. And you too can have a burning bush moment, so to speak. Right here, right now, for such a time as this. And you feel it. Because you might not know the intricacies or the details of, yes, eternity was written on your heart, but you know, like, you think about five years from now, you think about 20 years from now, you think about eternity. That's how the Lord made you. Understand that God loves you. And He doesn't make robots, it's you and me that responds to His love. How does that happen? To receive Jesus Christ as Lord as Savior. You want to do that? Commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now, point blank. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ, and then you you come back, you listen, and we journey together. We continue to grow and mature together.
1: To paradise. You see?
0: And notice what happens here. In in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You see, with his carnal eyes, he could see the riches and the treasures of Egypt, but with a different set of eyes, He saw greater riches, greater riches. Consider the seemingly existential crisis of Moses. Upon discovering that he is Hebrew, he's not Egyptian, he's Hebrew. And he discovers this while in the opulence of Egypt and upon discovering that he is indeed Hebrew. That means that he's of the lineage of Jacob. Not well versed in the unknown Hebrew ways. But he's in the lineage of Isaac and Abraham. And realizing this, not well versed on the nitty gritty, but enough to know that there are promises with the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The God of the Hebrew people that are literally slave class and in bondage. And the promises of God of this people, the ones that are in bondage to Egypt, The riches of those promises, Moses, he saw as greater than the treasures he could see with his own two eyes. While living in the opulence of Egypt, because he looked to the distance and saw a greater reward. You see, in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater That's powerful because he looked to the reward we see in verse 26. And by faith in verse 27, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, the faith of Moses wasn't arrested. He didn't have arrested development. It was growing and he forsook Egypt. And what does God do? What did God say to Moses? He says, you know what, Moses? Go back to Egypt. I'm with you, Moses, but go back to Egypt. You're going to free my people. Picture that. Picture that. I mean, Egypt was like a mighty army. Like Pharaoh was considered God on earth. Nobody messed with Pharaoh. Nobody messed with Egypt. They were like all-powerful on this earth. And they have slaves, the Hebrew people. And that's; those are their slaves in bondage. And the Lord says to one guy, go to Egypt and free my people. Picture that. You take a mighty nation, a strong nation, a powerful nation. Say like China. I mean, if you're Chinese, I love you. I love you. If you, you know, I'm just giving an example. But say there's a mighty army. We'll say Canada. I mean, Canadians, I love you too. But say there's say Canada is like mighty, and a mighty army, mighty like nobody messes with Canada. I mean, you know, for example, so nobody messes with Canada. And in Canada, there is a slave class in bondage to the Canadians. And say, you're just one singular person. And the Lord has called you out of Canada. Nobody messes with Canada. Nobody messes with the prime minister of Canada. And then the Lord says, Hey, go to Canada. You're gonna free my people.
1: What? You see? The faith of Moses is growing.
0: I mean when you study the word and you see it's like wow, the faith of Moses was it's beautiful. But there's a purpose behind it. Remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. And all these people in the halls of faith that we see here in Hebrews 11, there's a purpose for their faith. It's not just, okay, look, I have faith and, you know, have a nice day. No. They're doing. They're not hearers only. They're doers of the word. Very specific instructions given to them. And they're doing, they're applying it to their lives. And in the course of time, the Lord says, Okay, Moses, I have a job for you. You see? And praise be to the Lord. That's how the Lord works. By faith, in verse 27, He forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, in verse 28, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Remember, there was a plague against the firstborn. There were very specific instructions to be passed over. Very easy, but very specific. By faith, they, in verse 29, No longer singular. It's not the faith of Moses. By faith, they you see, Moses was like the jumper cables, Aaron was like the jumper cables. Remember our study on Wednesday? It just so happens, it just so happens how there, you know, how Deborah was like jumper cables. And praise be to the Lord. He said, by faith, they, in verse 29 passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Safe passage for God's people. There was affliction in Egypt where there was also exodus or evacuation for God's people and then judgment upon Egypt. Remember our study through Thessalonians? Exact same model. Affliction, persecution, evacuation, and then judgment and wrath. Nothing new under the sun. You see? By faith, they passed. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. This is so beautiful because we've studied this. like The book of Joshua. We've read, we've studied the account of Jericho, and we see it's by faith. You see, when the formula is right in the camp of Israel, victory upon victory upon victory, and that formula also included faith. Not to all. Not to all. To some. That inner chamber. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Remember? Rahab, former harlot. And how the Lord rewarded her faith because her and those in her household, they live. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the same, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak. Now, we just read about him. It just so happens we read about him on Wednesday. We studied him on Wednesday. Barak, you say, wait a second, where's Deborah? Because we study how Deborah buttressed Barak and she did, absolutely. But where is she? Why isn't she mentioned? And I'll tell you something with the utmost purity and sensitivity in my heart unto yours. I love that she's not mentioned. And I love that she's not mentioned, not in a chauvinistic sense, but as a testimony and witness of humility. Just like John the Baptist, when he says, he must increase. I must decrease. When we consider the faith of Moses, who is male, don't forget Zipporah, who saved his life. Female. Where is Zipporah? Where is Zipporah mentioned in Hebrews 11? You see? Samuel? Don't forget Mama. Hannah. Barak? Don't forget Deborah. You see? With a very special formula. There are these deeper things such as this that are revealed. You think of Timothy's pastoral ministry. Don't forget mama and grandma, Eunice and Lois. You see? And notice what happens here. Giving this account, you know, in verse 32, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also also of David and Samuel and the prophets who Through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. You see, when the formula was right, these foreign armies would run away. Verse 33 tells us this was all done through faith. That beautiful concrete substance called faith. Verse 35, women receive their dead raised to life again. Now, this is, you know, like in 1 Kings chapter 17. We see Elijah as a covering upon A child where life was revived. You see, in the Old Testament where we often say, you know, according to the flesh, observe Israel, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. There are new covenant implications. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, where as new covenant believers, pastors and elders, always male, are a covering where there is a revival of life. But... The formula, it has to be right. The covering is not according to the flesh. It is according to the spirit. And you hear us warn. You hear us warn. When the formula is right, you're in a fellowship. When the formula is right, do not leave. Do not leave. Yes, there is koinonia within Ecclesia, which is very beautiful and holy, but the covering of qualified overseers is to your benefit. Remember, Brother James asked the question: "Is anyone sick?" He says, "Go to your overseers. Go to the elders." You see, what if what if a child is sick? Parents can't just go to any overseer, just to any pastor, any elder. Parents can't do that because you might get the wolf. You have to know the formula. Because you got freak shows today, predators—they're wolves and they prey on children. Oh, the Bible says I gotta take my—I gotta take my son to the elder, so I'm gonna take him to the elder, and the elders are gonna say, "Well, I'm just gonna do like Elijah and be a covering." You see, they're wolves, freak shows. They don't understand the rules of engagement. They don't understand flesh and spirit. They don't understand where a mom can respond. Listen, hey. Freak show elder, freak show pastor, you do that, and I'm going to use the tent peg like L. You see? Because you have a lot of predators today. Perverted men. Perverted women, too. Oh, the ministry leaders, look, he's a pastor. Look, he's a youth pastor. Look, he teaches the kids. Look, he's a pastor for the children. But when you understand formula, When you understand formula, you know this guy is qualified, or this guy is disqualified, or this guy is a hireling, or this guy is a wolf. You see? And respond accordingly. Always honoring the Lord. Remember, the pastoral epistles, it's the Lord who leaked those letters. The Lord, so that you and me can know who is qualified, And when the formula is right, the covering is right. And when the covering is right, the difference will be stark. It'll be like night and day, like dark and light, like Goshen. When darkness befell Egypt, like Goshen. Of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there are only two who are told not to repent. Why? Because the formula is right. But there is only one who is kept from the hour of trial. Philadelphia. Most Christians wrongly attribute this to a pre-tribulation rapture, but they're wrong. I don't want to go in depth about the errors of the pre-tribulation rapture, but we have the studies that are archived for you. Go and listen to them. The Thessalonian letters. Very important. Especially for this last day's generation. And so we see in verse 35 that women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. I don't want to get graphic, but torture on women usually included other tortures of a sexual nature. Hey, all you got to do is deny Jesus and we'll grant you escape. And look what happens here in verse 35. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see? Verse 36, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now, there are reference points to both Testaments. Both Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if Paul is the writer of Hebrews. Some of these accounts would be by his own hands. A former persecutor, imprisoner, and killer of Christians. I mean, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a painful book to read, but you'll see the historian's account of torture upon Christians by the Roman Catholic Church church torture what they did to men what they did to women what they did to children what they did to pregnant women
1: Jesus says count the cost
0: in this life it's not so pretty in the life to come glorious glorious In verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. I have told you before, and I'll say it again: there was a time I was speaking to an elder, and he tells me, He says, Don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. That's the dumbest thing ever. The counsel of this fool who says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Listen, be heavenly minded. When you walk with Jesus, you are no earthly good because this world is at enmity with God. Saints, I'm speaking to you, the saints of today, the remnant. This world is not worthy of you. Just like we see in verse 38, the, of whom the world was not worthy. That doesn't mean that we are to be elitist. You see? But we are set apart. And being set apart, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. I met, I love Hebrews chapter 11 so much. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I mean, I have several. I shouldn't say several. I got a lot. But this is, this is up there. This is our family. This is our family. Our family of faith. I mean, I remember times I mean, like for you young people. There used to be this thing called photo albums. Now everything's like, you know, digitized. Everything's on the phones. Everything's on the tablets the computer or whatever. But back in the day, you could go visit somebody and there'd be like a big booklet on the table, on like a coffee table. And you say, oh, what's this? And you say, oh, it's just a photo album. And you go through the photo album. You know, I remember I would sit with old people. And look into the, you know, you see like old pictures. Nowadays, there's like filters on, you know, you take a picture on your on your phone or whatever. You take a picture on your device and they have like filters to make it look old. But back in the day, they really were old. And so you go through the photo album. Oh, look, this is, you know, my great grandpappy. Oh, look, this is this guy. This is this lady. This is the kids. Oh, look, I remember that day and this and that. But you know what? That's how I am when I read the Bible. That's how I feel when I read the Bible. Deborah, Barak, Phineas, Zipporah, Moses. I can't. That's our family. Heirs of Abraham. That's our family. It's a family of faith. We all have biological blood that flows through us And we have a lineage according to this world But we're not of this world There is a different blood that flows through our spiritual veins And that blood is Jesus Christ It's his blood And that root of Jesse There's a purpose There's something that God is doing He's at work But who has eyes to see and ears to hear? You open up the pages of Scripture, and that's our family. I mean, the good guys, not Korah, you know, (laughs) the good guys. That's our family. That's the lineage of faith. That's the promise of God unto Abraham when Abraham. He looks up at the sky, the night sky, and sees it just spattered with dots all over the place. He sees the stars, and the Lord tells him, "Your descendants are gonna be more than this." And so, in the course of time, he looks at Isaac, and "Okay, you know, you know, the Lord promised, you know, an innumerable, and all I got is Isaac. No offense to Isaac, but you know, that's all he—that's that's what he's working with." And Abraham did not doubt. He did not doubt. What did he do? He concluded that God was able. And when you see the word of God, these beautiful men, women, young people, old people, I meant like old man Moses. What about old man Jethro? You see? Look at all these beautiful old people. These beautiful young people. Men, women, Esther, Ruth, Phineas, Samuel, Hannah, you know, uh, Eleazar. That's our family. And when you see in this manner, you know, when Abraham... Concluded that God, I mean, like you know, Lord, you promised the stars and you you promised innumerable stars, and you know, all I'm working with is Isaac here. And he concluded, looking forward to a future event, the resurrection. You know what that is? That's you. That's you, an heir of Abraham. Where with his carnal eyes, Abraham saw that. There was a little disconnect with what his carnal eyes saw. Like, Lord, you promised the stars and all I got is Isaac. But with a different set of eyes, eyes that can see by faith and through faith and through your belief in Jesus Christ and your obedience to Jesus Christ and your choice to abide in Christ where the Lord says, abide in me, no period. He says, abide in me and I in you. And with that, Abraham concluded with a different set of eyes. Eyes that could see clearly. More clearly than carnal eyes could see. To see you. You see? heir of Abraham that's powerful and all these things remember in our earlier chapters in Hebrews that the Lord finished his work all these things were put in motion and the Lord he finished his work What about our works? What about our works? Those are not finished. And remember, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. What are those works? The kingdom. The kingdom. I mean, you look at Barnabas, Joseph, named Barnabas, son of encouragement by the apostles. This isn't like, you know, a ragtag group of guys that just says, Hey, we're going to name you Barnabas. No, this is the apostles. They are the ones who named him Barnabas, son of encouragement, wealthy, but yet selling property and taking 100% of the proceeds and giving it to the church and not giving it to the church like you know we see today giving it to the church with godly men and they would distribute to the needs of the saints you see that's family family caring for family taking care of family not of the flesh but of the spirit You see, a different kind of family where like, you know, you could take a white guy, a black guy and every color in between, you know, pink, blue, purple, whatever color it is, family, brothers, sisters in Christ, you see a peculiar people where you have you're going to have the rich you're going to have the poor you're going to have the nerd you're going to have the the jock you're going to have like you know the 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 geek and the, the nerd and you're going to have like you know short people tall people chubby people you know long-haired bald people you're going to have everybody a peculiar people what are we Christians followers of Jesus Christ
1: See, that's our family. That's our family.
0: The family of faith. Very specific blueprints where Paul says, if there is anything contrary to doctrine, there needs to be separation. If it's contrary to doctrine, separate. And I've had these conversations with Christians where it's like, well, I've been going to this church for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, my whole life I've been going to this church. And I can't stand that they have, you know, a female pastor now or female elders now. And I seek counsel and, you know, and they call me, you know, male chauvinist and all that. You know, it's not about that. It's not carnal. There's a very specific formula outlined in the word of God. Oh, I can't stand that the pastor is female now. Is it because you're chauvinist? No, it's because it's not the formula of the word of God. Okay. I can't stand the church that I go to. I've been going there for 20 years and they're teaching Calvinism now. They're teaching replacement theology now. They have these guest speakers that do the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and then you know, the, the elders, you know, they're doing their sex and their Ouija boards and all these things. And I can't stand it. Praise the Lord that you can't stand it. The Bible says these are signs of the times when the church enters crazy town. You know what you do? Home fellowship. I am thoroughly convinced and I can make a strong case, very strong case. That the last day's model for church is the home fellowship.
1: And it's happening.
0: You're starting to see home fellowships. They're growing And not growing in number. Although you do see, like, oh, you know, like a a fellowship where, you know, two people, now it's like five people, now it's like ten. And you do see growth in in one regard. But I'm speaking of a deeper growth. The depths of the word of God. You know, Hebrews 5 and 6, you know, not to be milk drinker, but if the Lord permits. If the Lord permits, let us move on to perfection. Where like in 1 Corinthians 3, the Lord w- didn't permit. Why? Is it because he's being mean? No, it's because these deeper things cannot be housed with the carnal. So with separation, you have the remnant now without the leaven. And now there are deeper things that are taught. You see, praise be to the Lord. These these are spiritually discerned. That's how the Lord made it. That's how the Lord made it. Not out of cruelty, but to know who are His. And those who are His, they know that God is theirs and they are God's. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's our family. Way back to Abel, that's our family. Abraham, our family. Isaac, Jacob, our family. You see? And everybody in between who aligned with the Lord. That inner chamber of faith that we get a glimpse of in the Old Testament. It was there. The mixture of faith wasn't on the majority. It was on a smaller group of people. And the Lord used them as jumper cables. Just like Deborah. Jumper cable. A beautiful, beautiful jumper cable. I kind of like Yael. She's, you know, she's my kind of jumper cable. But praise be to the Lord. Who the Lord? Look at Phineas. Remember Phineas with his javelin? Look at that. I'm so in love with these people. And that's our family. On earth, there is the association with pain, with hardship and tribulation. I mean, you look at, in in verse thirty five, or in 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 verse um, uh, thirty four. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to uh, flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings, scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn into, were tempted, were slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy they wandered in deserts and mountains in dens and caves of the earth you see that's pain that's hardship that's tribulation and the world was not worthy and these in verse 39 in closing And all these having obtained a good testimony, just like Abel, just like Noah, just like Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, obtaining a good testimony
1: through faith, through
0: faith. Notice, did not receive the promise, did not receive the promise. Wait a minute. How is it? How is it that these beautiful, beautiful souls, our family, they stood on the promises of God and yet they did not receive the promise? How is this? Notice, remember the the the, the birthday with the little girl? You know, specific order. She can't wait to open her presents. Notice in verse 40, God, having provided something better for us, for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You see? Oh my goodness, what the Lord has done and is doing. Our family, our family, our family of faith. Abel, Moses, Rahab, Sarah, they did not receive the promise. And this is the key word.
1: Yet. Yet. You see?
0: You see, being made perfect happens during our lives as we move from 0% to 99.9%. No arrested development. 100% 100% you're going to be dead. We go from, we come to Christ at 0%. You know, we, we don't, we don't come to Christ with works or anything. We come to him at 0%. We're not saved by works, but growing and maturing. We go from 0% to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. You're going to have moments of stumbling. Where, you know, you're 10% and then you're back down to 8%. And then, okay, 9, 10, 11, you know, right with the Lord, getting right with the Lord. Repent. Lord, forgive me. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Boom. 10%. Lord, forgive me. Not taking advantage of his grace, but learning. Next time you're at the fork in the road, it's okay. Last time, you know, I turned left when I should have turned right. I walked according to the flesh when I should have walked according to the spirit. And then the whole time learning, this is how I make choices that honor the Lord. You see, because last time I didn't do it. So now I'm going to do it. And I've repented from last time. And so this time I'm going to do it. And I'm learning to walk according to the spirit. You see? And then 15, 16, 17%, 18, 19, 20%, 21, 22. And we move on to perfection growing. But with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards, there's arrested development where a Christian cannot move beyond 10%. There is no growth. There is no maturity. Have you ever spoken to a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, my whole life. And you think, okay, been a Christian for 30 years. Finally, I can speak to a brother. Finally, I can speak to a sister about the deeper, like the deep, deep, deep things about the word of God. But then in about two minutes, you realize, oh my goodness, I can't. I can't. I can't speak to this person about deeper things. It's not because, you know, anything bad on your part. But it's a shame. A little bit for the person, for that person. But the greater shame is on the pastor. Who in the world is the pastor? Show me, point me. Who is the man who is the pastor? Why is it that this Christian has been under arrested development for 10 plus years? For 3 plus years? Scratch that, for 1 plus years. Why? Why? Why is it that before he came to Christ, he was doing the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and he comes to Christ and 10 years later, 20 years later, he's still doing the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Because remember, the Bible says that we are to move on to perfection if the Lord permits. And with those works of the flesh, the Lord will not permit. You see? And we're supposed to move on to 100%. Why is it that under the leadership, I'm doing my air quotes, under the leadership of the defunct pastor, you see Christians and churches that cannot move beyond 10%. It's because of the pastor. It's because, remember, leadership matters. Why is it that Christians don't know this? Why is it that Christians, they hear the pastor say, oh, the gifts of the Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. Why is it that Christians don't know that every priest has both sacrifice and gifts? Why? Who is there who would shut the doors? You see, why is it that you have pastors who say, oh, yeah, God is all done with Israel. His promises are no longer for Israel. Now they're for the church. And why is it that you have Christians sitting in the pews who like nod their head? Oh, okay, pastor. We're just going to milk it all up. Emphasis on milk. Milk is good for babies, but milk is bad too. When there's the expectation of meat, don't forget, you know, the milk of Deborah and the milk of Yael. Don't forget. We're supposed to move on to perfection. Being made perfect happens while we walk with Christ. In this life, zero to 100%. 100% is when we're dead, so uh, zero to 99.9%. You see? And once we reach perfection, reaching perfection, which still is a pending matter, when corruption puts on incorruption the mortal puts on immortality when you look at revelation 20 in revelation 20 verse 4 shows that the souls of christians who have been beheaded who did not receive the mark of the beast and people say oh those are tribulation saints you know the pre tribulation rapture theory which is a theory it's unbiblical because it does not align with Scripture, and yet you have people say, oh, those are the tribulation saints. That is incorrect, because verse 5 and verse 6 of Revelation 20 reveals that these beautiful souls who have been beheaded and refused the mark of the beast, these beautiful, beautiful souls, are the first resurrection. If the pre-tribulation rapture were true, the first resurrection would not have these beheadings and the mark of the beast because these are things that happen during the 70th week of Daniel. But the Bible, our authority, the Bible says the first resurrection includes those who have been beheaded and did not take the mark of the beast. You see, the pre-tribulation rapture theory The narrative does not fit. The living will by no means precede the dead. This perfection, as promised, will include Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Sarah, Rahab, these beautiful women who refused deliverance, who were sought into, beautiful men who were tortured and slain with the sword. This is our family. Heirs of Abraham by faith. I meant some of them were straight up heirs of Abraham, you know, according to the flesh.
1: Until the seed I belief in Jesus and by
0: faith heirs of Abraham grafted in to Israel Thus fulfills that all Israel will be saved. You see? Of the righteous this world is not worthy. To the beautiful people of the way,
1: a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.